Hey guys, my name is Libby and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen with us. What you're about to hear is a message from Pastor Jeremy, continuing on with the new series called Open. We're going to continue our series called Open. If you've never met me, my name's Jeremy, by the way. If you're new here, I'd love for you to stick around after the service, meet some people, and uh, just get to know them. Because... I was kind of harsh in the 10 a.m. The, <laughs> the Bible says this, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. And I was a youth pastor for years and years, and parents would come to me and say, Pastor Jeremy, the youth in your youth group aren't very friendly. And I'd look at them and say, and neither is your son or daughter. And then they'd be all offended at me. I said, no, seriously, like, when your kid comes to youth group and they sit in the corner and refuse to talk to anyone all night, they're not going to make friends. And I said, I get it. But, like, as adults, we have a hard time doing it, and we expect junior high students to do it. I so said, we're all working on it, okay? So, you know, take a step, meet somebody, tell them your name. You know, we do this in church all the time. Shake someone and say, hi, 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 hi. Like, never ask their name, tell them your name. How do you know somebody if you don't know their name? So, just an encouragement. This is a side note. It's for free. It's not even part of the message. And so now I'll get back to preaching, and uh, it won't be my opinion. It'll be what God says. So, hopefully it's better. <laughs> First Samuel chapter... Three. It says this. It says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. A little bit of backstory. Let's stop right there. Samuel's probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years old at this time. He's serving in the temple with this priest named Eli. Now, here at Engage, we love your family, we love your kids. We love your youth, but you cannot bring them to church and leave them here for us to raise them. Just telling you right now, it's not going to happen, but this is what actually happened for Samuel. Samuel's mom was a lady named Hannah who couldn't have kids, and she pleaded with the Lord, and she said, if you give me a child, I will give them back to you. And this lady prayed and meant it and was for real, and she actually, when Samuel was old enough, she drops him off at the church, and he lives there with the priest. And it's like... I'm like, Lord, please don't make me be open to that, okay? I don't want to live at the church with a bunch of youth. They can go home to their parents. But this is where Samuel's at, and he's learning to serve as a priest. And it says, now in these days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? And he got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. The Lord called out again. Samuel. Again, Samuel got up, went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the board. Like, let me tell you this. I call my kids three times. Do you think they come? No. Something about Eli's uh, parenting there that uh, made him listen. Anyways, here... <laughs> Here he keeps going to Eli because he does not know what the voice of the Lord sounds like. So it says, Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant 
is listening. If we go back one chapter, there's another verse here. 1 Samuel 2.26 says this, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today uh, for your word. Lord, we love your word, and we love how it speaks to us, and we thank you that it's alive, living, and active, and that it changes us, and it leads us into everything we need to know for our future and what it means to follow Jesus. So we give you our hearts, we give you our ears this morning in Jesus' name. And again, everyone says, amen. Wow, that was so good. Said in the last service, there's no sense praying for the Oilers because Connor McDavid is on his suspension and they won't win anyways. I'm just kidding. Okay, I got to get new jokes because the hockey ones are getting old and the sports ones. And I'm really bored because football season's over. Do you want me to start with golf jokes? My new thing is golf. I'm watching golf right now. And uh, <laughs> no, no, everyone's like, who cares? As we started this series called Open, Pastor Brett kind of got us to start asking this question, which is pretty loaded if you ask me. And the question was this, am I open? Open to what? Am I open to living generously? Am I open to living how God's called me to live? Am I open to what he wants to speak in my life? Am I open to have my home open, my life open, all of these things? And most of us are saying, it sounds like the pastors are setting us up to do something or serve somewhere or be available to something. And you can think whatever you like. We're just hoping that God speaks to you and that you're open to that. And he'll show you what you need to do. But when we ask these questions about am I open, I think all of us want to say that we're open. But there's a big part of us that we know we're really not in certain areas, right? Like if I said this morning, how many of you are open to change? few people. Now, if I said, how many are open to change and you get to make decisions on what that change is? You're like, oh yeah, if I can decide on the change and I can set the direction, I'm way more open to that. And we wrestle with these things in our humanity because whether we say we like change or not, when the rubber hits the road, when we get our back up against the wall and change is upon us or we're being required to change, all of a sudden how easygoing, laid back, cooperative, flexible, whatever you want to call it, we think we are. There's something that's like, oh, maybe I'm not really that way. Um, Maybe I'm less open to this than I thought. I mean, for me, I'm open to a lot of new ideas. I'm open to all your ideas about riding roller coasters. Probably doesn't mean I'll get on with you, but, you know, we can talk about it. I'm open uh, to how much you like different types of sushi and raw fish. Don't ask me to eat it at your house. Like, I'm not going to try it. You know, I'm open to listening to whatever it is you're trying to sell, but guess what? I'm probably not going to buy it. So, you know, it's one of those things where we all set these layers and things in our lives where we say we're open to a point, but we're not really that open. But as we move forward in this series, I think there's one area we would all like to believe we're open about, and that's to the area of open doors. How many would say, I want God to open doors for me? I want him to lead me every step of the way. I'm open to making good decisions in my life. You know, most of us are open to those things. Not many of us say, I want to live mediocre. I want to make poor decisions all the time. I don't ever want to walk through an open door. I'm completely content with my life being, uh, you know, half of what it should be. No, most of us have that desire inside of us to do something great with our life or move forward in life. You know, I don't hear many people say, I'm just so stuck in life right now, and I'm so glad and I'm just going to stay here forever. Nobody feels like that. If you do, we'll pray for you because that's a very sad place 
to stay. <laughs> and we, we want to be open to the new adventures, the open doors, the good plans of God, whether we call it our calling, our destiny, the plan of God, whatever we want to call it. We all say we're open to that and we're open and ready for him to make a way for us to step through those doors. But do we ever stop long enough to consider what does an open door really mean for me? An open door is a lot more than just our future opening up and man, we step through and everything's great. Have you ever asked a question, like, God, if you open a door for me, what does that really mean? How does a door open to me? How do I know which ones are open for me to step through and which ones are simply distractions that I need to avoid? Because you will come across things in life where you have multiple good decisions open to you, and God, what's the best choice and direction? How do I make a good decision in that? When we ask questions like, how do we follow through with an open door, that the minute we step through it and we say, God, you open this door for me and this is the direction I'm going and this is where I want to be, and God, I believe it, and you step over that door threshold, invisible as it may be in your life, and you get to this side of it and you look at your life and you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Because God, this looks nothing like I thought it would on this side of the door. And when we say we're open to that, we have to know how to make good decisions, step through the right doors, and keep following Jesus, even when times get tough. Open doors are an amazing thing, but open doors don't mean a free ride. It's not all roses and candy and junk food and amusement parks. Open doors sometimes lead us into hard work, frustration, disappointment at times, and yet in the midst of that, we have to know that we made the right decision and we took the right door, but how do we know that? How do we make those decisions? How do we do those things? I think the key and the link to that is going back to 1 Samuel, and what we learn here is Samuel learned how to hear God. The key to open doors in your life and my life isn't based on a magic portal opening and we're like, oh, it's right there in front of me and it's just so obvious and I should go this direction. No, the key to open doors, wise decisions, and following Jesus actually is in our ability to hear God, to hear what he wants to say to us through life. 1 Samuel 2 verse 26 says this. It says, the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with both the Lord and man. Can you just say that word favor? Okay, now I'm going to go to another scripture, Luke 2.52. And this is the only other person that this verse is mentioned about. And it's actually about a guy that we know named Jesus. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in, what's that word? Favor, but look at this, with God and man. Samuel grew in wisdom and stature and he grew in favor with God and he grew in favor with men. Jesus, probably a better example to follow than Samuel, grew in favor with God and with men. And I would propose to you this morning that for us to walk through open doors in this life and do all the things that God's called us to do, we actually require the favor of God and the favor of men. But we got to be careful with that because it's both. It's not one or the other, it's both. We can be so spiritual and grow, and we want to learn how to pray, and hear God, and do all these things, but I would say to you, it's difficult to do that, and be a jerk to your neighbor, 
we can grow in so much favor and serve in the community and at church and all those things, but we don't have, like, people don't like us. It doesn't really work very well. But there's another side that we can go to sometimes where we want to care so much about what people think and we want to please men and we want to do social justice things and things like that, which are all great, but we become very pleasing in the eyes of people, but we have no concern about growing in favor with God and hearing what he wants and how he wants us to move and the things that he's calling us to. I would propose that hearing God is learning how to grow in both of these areas. And these two scriptures that we read are a little bit more like our verses in Acts that we're framing this whole series around than we think. In Acts 2.47, okay, we're focusing on Acts 2.42 to 47 for this series. It says, they were praising God and having, what's that word? Favor with all the people. Praising God, worshiping him, growing in their relationship with God, but they had favor with all the people. The message writes it like this way. This paraphrase says, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful, as they praised God. And people in general liked what they saw. And every day their number grew as God added to those who were being saved. I would say today that if we're open to people in our community being added to this church home, this community, if we would say we're an open church where we want people to come experience the goodness of God, the life of God, we want them to grow in who God is and find a relationship with him, people generally are going to need to like what they see in our lives. Because if people don't like you, they won't like when you tell them that they need Jesus. And this doesn't mean that Christians were loved all the time in the New Testament. There were religious leaders that were threatened by them. There were Roman rulers that were threatened by them. But there was something that the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives that made people see them and be attracted to what they had. And I think this is what it means. If we want to grow in wisdom and favor with both God and man, there's got to be something about the Holy Spirit at work in each of us that causes other people to look and say, there's something different about them and I don't know what it is and I haven't learned yet but I kind of like what I see and then we work at hearing God so we grow in our relationship with God and we're filled up here but we also grow in favor with people by how we act how we walk how we talk how we respond to people how we show them the love of God and sometimes I think we go about life and we're not very conscious to how much our everyday actions actually affect how people see Jesus I mean, I'm cranky in the mornings, and I am rude to some baristas. In confession time, they close the nearest Starbucks to my house, and I am so angry because the next closest one, they are slow, and the people, I don't like them in there. And I said to my wife, I'm like, I hate that Starbucks. And I actually said this morning, and this is full exposure, I said, we better leave 10 minutes earlier because that crappy Starbucks is going to take 15 minutes to make my coffee so we can get to church on time. And then I'm like, okay, Lord, I should probably be nice to the girl at the window because it's not really her fault that Starbucks closed my favorite store, right? But, like, my actions can make a difference in someone's life. Uh, There have been so many times. I mean, I was in a line at Costco, and, I mean, I have to go to Costco after church today, and Costco on a Sunday, it's like, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me be a nice person. But I'm in the line at Costco to buy tires. And the guy behind me t- tells me about his truck. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's the kind of truck you have. And I'm just trying to be nice. Then he tells me his whole life story about his, like, sister and his mom and, like, how they've been struggling. I'm like, and I could just be like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Thanks, got my tires. But it's like, 
Do we realize that there are moments in life that God is actually saying, if you're open to hearing my voice, you were a nice person and I gave you favor and this person's sharing with you and you have something that can actually lead them to me. But it's tough to be open to that sometimes. And we have to learn to hear God and know when his voice is speaking. Those situations, when we hear the Holy Spirit and the voice of God, we're more inept, we're in tune, and we're ready to move in those situations and let God work through us. And I believe in life. Doors open to people who want to hear God. Doors open to churches in the community who have a heart to hear what God wants to do, not just what we want to do. And hearing God can happen in many different ways, and we have to learn how to do that. Like Samuel, it says, the word of the Lord was rare in that day, and he had not yet learned to hear the voice of the Lord. You might be here today and think, I'm new to this church thing. I've never been before. This guy's crazy. He thinks he talks to God. Yes, yes, I do. If the God of the universe sent his son to die on a cross to have a relationship with me, why would I believe that Jesus won't speak to me through the power of the Holy Spirit with, and he wants a relationship with me? I was like me saying, I love my wife. She's so pretty. She's so beautiful. I want to marry her. She can be the mother of my children. But guess what? Don't talk to me. That's the relationship I want. Like how weird is that? God did not send his son to have a relationship with you and not speak to you on a daily, weekly, monthly, on a lifelong journey of relationship. God does still speak. But for some of us, we have to learn how to grow in that because he will speak through his word. He will speak directly. He will speak through a friend or a trusted loved one or leaders in our life. We are all learning on how to hear from God. I said in last service, if you want to learn how to hear from God, Larry runs a small group on it, and you can go and every week study with them. How do I better hear the voice of God? Because we're all growing in it. We can never stop. Sometimes God's voice sounds like my wife. Usually when it's like, you should be nicer to that person. And I know it's God, right? Like, sometimes God's voice sounds like a leader in my life. Sometimes... I'm reading the Bible and something jumps out in scripture and God's like, that's what I want you to work on right now. This is what I'm doing in your life right now. Sometimes I use a magic eight ball and that's not God in my life. But, you know, there are many ways that we hear God and we move through open doors. Hopefully not with a magic eight ball. But when doors open to us, how we hear God will determine how we continue through those open doors, make good decisions, and keep moving forward when times get tough. To be those that have a heart and ability to walk through open doors, we must be open to listening to the voice of God. And that means we listen to the voice of God when it's an amazing door that opens to us, and it's so exciting and we can't wait. But it also means we're open to hearing the voice of God when that amazing door is open and God says, nope, this door. And you're like, God, I don't know what's behind that door. But I'm willing to trust you and I'm willing to listen. It also means that when we start moving forward in our best intention and in wisdom, God says, stop. I'm going to change the direction. And it also means we're willing to listen to the voice of God when we're moving forward and say, God, I just want to move forward in this and I just want to do this and I just want to do that. And God says, no, wait. Oh, Jesus, I don't like it when you tell me to wait. Just be patient. Is our heart open to hearing God when those are the things that he wants to speak? 
And my question this morning would be, how does this happen? How do we know which doors to move through? How do we know when God's speaking and leading us? How do we keep moving forward when God has told us to do something and it doesn't look like what we thought it would be, but yet we believe we had a word from God? Because there will be moments in time where you have a direct word from God and you know this is what God's called me to do. And most of the time, from my experience in life, that direct word from God will be tested and challenged. But then there will be times where wisdom says this is the right way to go. This is a good direction. You have people agreeing with you. There's no caution of the Holy Spirit. And you want to do that. I remember having a conversation with a great pastor friend of mine. And I was talking to him about these theologies of hearing God and making decisions. And you get men of God that will say, if you make a decision to move your organization or your life or family or whatever forward without a word from God, you're running ahead of God and you're in the wrong and you're being disobedient. Like, okay. Then I go over to this side where someone will look at you like, what are you doing? You're doing nothing with your life. The scripture says we should be this kind of people and that kind of people and we should do these things. Why aren't you listening to God? Oh, you're waiting on a word from God? So you're just going to sit and do nothing and be disobedient when God's already given you the freedom to move forward in him unless he tells you otherwise. Both great men of God in my life and I'm like, what do I do? And I was talking with this other pastor. He says, you do both. I'm like, well, that's real confusing. He goes, well, someone will always disagree with how You're doing these things. But he goes, if you have a direct word from God to wait or to go ahead or do something and you don't do it, then yes, you're being disobedient if you do the opposite. But when you don't have a direct word from God, he has given us his word. He's given us godly wisdom. He's given us people around us. He's given us the Holy Spirit that I believe if the Holy Spirit can lead you in a specific direction, if you're going the wrong way, he can tell you to stop and shift that direction, right? So we follow God and we make decisions with both ways. But I want to leave you with something more practical than that this morning because if we go home and say, well, Pastor Jeremy said sometimes God speaks like this and sometimes he speaks like this, but none of that really helped me. And so it was some good scriptures and he said a couple funny things and that's it. That doesn't help us, right? But I believe primarily there are two avenues that God will use in our lives to move through open doors, make good decisions, and move forward in our lives. You ready? No. Ready? Okay, we'll try it again. You ready? Okay, number one is this. I believe that God helps us move forward, walk through open doors, make good decisions through obedience and trust. Everyone say obedience. Everyone say trust. Obedience and trust will be key, integral parts of your walking with God. When you have received a word from God, you will need obedience and trust to keep making decisions and keep moving forward in everything that God wants to lead you into. Let's go back to Samuel, for instance. I didn't read the full story to you, but after Samuel says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, what I didn't tell you was what he heard. Samuel now hears God say, I'm going to do some new things in Israel. I want you to be a leader. I want you to grow in this way and that way. But Eli's sons have been sinful. They haven't treated the priesthood properly. They haven't treated people properly. Eli turned a blind eye to it. So I'm a little frustrated with him too. And unless everybody humbles themselves and Samuel, you start leading in a godly way, things aren't going to change. But I'm going to change some things. Remember, Samuel's a young boy 
And the next morning, Eli comes to him and says, Samuel, what did God say to you? You better believe you heard from God if you're going to be obedient with that word and trust him to work it out. Because I can tell you, it took obedience in his heart to share that word and trust that my leader could be mad at me. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I need to trust God at what he said. So he starts telling Eli, and he starts saying, well, this is what God says, and this is how it is, and God's going to change things. It's like telling your lead pastors, like, God told me that there's some things that are a mess here, and we need to fix them, and he's going to anoint me, and we're going to do it better from here on out. Like, come on. Like, this, like that's a pretty, like, I'd be shaking a little bit, right? And you want to know what tells me Eli still had a heart to hear God? When he heard all those things, Eli simply humbled himself and he said, then he is God and we must do what he wants. And even though he knew he made mistakes with his sons and other things, his heart still said, then what God says goes and we will move forward in that direction. And that's what Eli did. But I believe Samuel needed obedience and trust to share the word and trust God with how Eli would respond and how God would work that out. Uh, obedience is important for us to continue to move forward into open doors. And sometimes it means that trusting that God's ways are higher than our own, that we don't understand. Because a lot of times when God gives us a word, he doesn't tell us why we have that word or what he's going to work out in that in-between process. I remember when Brandy and I first bought our very first place. When we got married, little backstory on this, I was a Bible college student I was an intern. I made $300 a month. I probably gave 20 hours of my week to the church. I was newly married, and I had another part-time job. And my wife was in school to become a nurse. So for the first seven months we were married, uh, we were both in school, no money, uh, very low-paying income, uh, trying to live, trying to finish school. But, hey, all you need is love, right? No, wrong. You need money. You need food. You need to pay the bills. So what we did have that was a big blessing to us is my in-laws were living in Ontario at the time, and they needed someone to watch their house. So we had free rent until they moved home. So that's how we did it, okay? So parents, don't worry. I don't tell young people, oh, yeah, if you got love, just, just it'll all work out. No. You need to learn how to be a man first, okay? Then you can get married. But we were, <laughs> right, Brendan? Brendan's, Brendan's learning how to be a man. Then he can get married. No, I'm just kidding. Brandon, I love you. You're such a great man of God. I want to tell so many stories right now, but I can't. We don't have time. We don't have time. And so when Brandy and I went to buy our first place, uh, my in-laws were moving back. Uh, I was just about to finish Bible college. My wife was nursing now, so thank God she was taking care of me and supporting me financially while I finished school. And we wanted to buy a place, and I distinctly remember God saying, don't spend more than $150,000. This is like 2005, and I'm like, well, that can't be that bad. Young, naive, 22 years old, oh, $150,000, like I get a big house, like this, that. Nope, can't do it. Couldn't find a single family home for the life of us that didn't require 50 grand worth of renovations or whatever. We weren't in that place at that point in life. So we started looking at condos and we actually did, in the area we live, find a new build condo that we could buy in the build stage. And there were still a few units that were about $147,000. So you got about 900 square feet, not very big, but it was doable for just us. We didn't have any kids yet. And we thought, this is great, this is a great place. 
And so the word from God is don't spend over $150,000. Talk to my parents. We'll talk about this in the next point. Trying to get some godly wisdom. Trying to do all these things. Talk to my dad. My dad's like, well, I don't know, $150,000. I bought my acreage and built my house for $150,000. Are you sure you want to put that much money in a condo? I'm like, dad, that was 25 years ago. Just stop. Like, it's not the same thing, right? And he goes, no, but I think you guys, you're being wise. You've set a limit. You feel you can do this, all this stuff. And so we went to put an offer on the place. And I said, yes, we'd like to put our name down, put our deposit down on one of these units that is this size. And she goes, sorry, all those units have been spoken for. And then she starts to say, but we have a few other ones. We have one that has a den in it, and it's $157,000. We got another one that's like 50 to 80 square feet bigger, and that's $153,000. And they're like, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, in your mortgage and your payments, it won't make much difference on your payments. But I'm like so young and determined to follow God and hear what his word said. And I said, nope, 150 grand, that's it. And my wife's like, literally, you're going to throw away us having a home over $3,000. I said, yes, I am. Right now, that's the word from God. She's like, what are we going to find that? I'm like, I don't know. God has to, he gave us his word. He has to finish this out. And she was like, I think you're crazy, but okay. Like, we'll see what happens. And I, so I, I, I say with real estate, I've always said kind of weird things that have come back to me. And I was like, I just said it like, I'm like, you know what? If one of the ones that's spoken for comes available, just let me know. She goes, well, the lady that is supposed to buy the last one is paying cash, and she's coming in tomorrow to lift all her conditions. So I'm not sure it will, but I will let you know. And I'm like, okay. So my wife's a little upset with me. I'm holding to this word I have from God. And at this point, I'm like, make my wife happy. There's this word from God. Like, I'm wrestling with this. I'm like, like both are very important to me at this point in time. And we just decide, no, we're going to wait. And she calls on... Monday, we, we were, Monday was my day off. I was working at the church. So 6 o'clock rolls around, hadn't heard from her. 10 after 6 rolls around, still hadn't heard from her. We had young adults at night, so we're starting to get ready. Have to go out the door to young adults because now, right now, we're not getting a house. And God gave us word, and he, this didn't work out. And I'm really excited about going to worship and, you know, pray and all these things and be excited about what God's doing. But he didn't work out what I wanted him to work out. And my phone rings about 6.15, and it's the lady from the condo place. She says, just so you know, that lady phoned, and she came in and paid cash for the unit and moved all her conditions. So it's kind of a done deal, right? And so I was like, okay, well, thanks so much for letting me know. And she just says, well, no, no, just so you know, I had to wait till 6.15 because there was another person left some weird condition like inspection on a brand new build. She's like, I've never seen it before, but they removed everything else except that one. And they hadn't removed it, so I called them, and they're not going to remove it. Now, what I didn't tell you was, when we were looking at these places, I asked my wife, I said, in this whole building of condos, what would be your first choice in our price range? She goes, I like number 104 because it faces the courtyard. It's on the main floor. We can't afford the fourth floor. She's like, hon, you're a Bible college student and going into ministry. We're not fourth floor people, floor people yet. And she's like, this is what I like. It's not next to the elevator, but it's close to the, the side door and stuff if you're bringing groceries in and out. And I'm like, okay. And the lady on the phone goes, hey, so I have something else, and maybe you're interested, but Unit 104 has become available. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I'll come bring you a check, and we'll put a deposit down, and done deal. Now, that's a great story. When I was like, hooray, it worked out, and all these things. But I didn't know that when a week later or whatever later I said, nope, we're not going to spend more money than we're supposed to. 
Then came all the thoughts of, well, what if we missed it? And what if this happened? And what if we're not going to have a place to live? What if my in-laws come home and I have to live with them for six months? Like, I was deeply afraid, right? Like, and I've actually lived with my in-laws twice since then, so it's not that bad. I'm pretty sure they won't let it happen a third time, though. And obedience and trust in the in-between when you're trying to work things out is more difficult than it can seem at times. Because you know you have this direct word from God, but then when there's a testing that comes, when there's a space in between what he said and seeing what he showed you actually be material and real, there's going to be a lot of questioning that goes on in your life. Should I have just spent that extra money? Am I being too hardline on this? Am I making the wrong decision? But I can tell you this, that obedience and trust will always keep you moving forward in step with what God has said. When he's given you a direct word obedience and trust will be what holds you when you feel like you made the worst decision in the world. You have to go back to the word that he already gave you, because, but most of the time we'd be like, God, can I get a new word, please? Can I just take a number? Show me how to get out of this. Show me how to get to the end a little more quickly. I remember when I was finishing Bible college, same sort of thing. Everybody in ministry kind of starts poaching the new young pastors because... They're cheap, and you can train them to minister however you want in your church. Just saying, that's kind of how it is sometimes. <laughs> but, sorry, I shouldn't be so critical, Lord. And what they do in your last semester of Bible college, especially for anyone that's taking pastoral theological studies, they start setting up interviews with you with people that are looking for their next youth slash associate slash everything they need you to do pastor and that's okay that's a great place to start and I really felt in my spirit not to meet with any of these guys and the president of the bible college who's a friend of mine to this day he comes to me and he says Jeremy like all these guys are trying to meet like I've noticed you've not met with anyone why and I didn't really want to tell him but what I really felt and I really saw and these are hard things to tell people because you just look kind of dumb when you're not pursuing a career or a job and school's ending in a little while, and I, I, I honestly saw this picture of soldiers standing in a line, and I felt God say, if you step out of line before I tell you, it won't be good. It won't be the right thing, and I'm like, great. So everyone's like, yeah, I met with this person, and everyone's like, I got a, I got a part-time, 10-hour-a-week worship pastor job in this town I've never heard of before, and all this, like, and everyone's pumped, but they're excited. Good for you. You're excited about what God's doing in your life, but I had a word to wait. Four days before I graduated, the youth pastor that was my mentor and who I worked with, and I was his intern, phones me and says, hey, our lead pastor wants to talk with you. We're going to meet at this Starbucks in an hour, okay? Like, when your leader and the lead pastor phone you for a meeting in the middle of the day, like, and it's not a common thing, I'm like, they're going to rebuke me. Did I sin? Did I do anything wrong? Like, am I in trouble? And I get there, and they offer me a position for one year saying that we'll train you full-time for one year, and if we can't keep you on after that, then we'll find a place for you. Which, to me, there were 22 other people that graduated in my class from that church who had all grown up in that church. I was the least likely person to be the next staff member. But obedience and trust led me to that moment. But it's great when there's a happy ending, but it's really tough when you're in the season of why aren't you doing anything. 
And I say that because I had a word from God. I knew in my heart of hearts that this was the word from God. But now we'll go to the other side where I would tell you the second avenue, when you don't have that sure word from God, what you really need is acknowledgement and wisdom. You see, I laugh and joke about these guys going to all these meetings from different denominations and this and that. But you know what wisdom tells me? If you don't have a word from God to wait or this or that, you might as well start having conversations and seeing where the Holy Spirit starts opening doors and what direction he leads you in. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 to 6 says this. This is, my child, never forget the things that I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you'll live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find, what's this word? Favor with both God and people. And you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. See, I believe there is a measure of open doors, good decisions, and wisdom moving forward in life when you have a word from God that you hold to that word and you stay obedient and you trust him for the fulfillment of that word. But there will be moments and seasons in life where you don't have a sure word from God, like a direct audible type, this is the direction I'm supposed to go to hold on to. And then what you lean into then is you trust him with all in all, seek him with all you have, in all that you have, and then he will show you which path to take. And there's a new realm that I believe God, not a new realm, but another realm which I believe God leads us into, and that's through acknowledgement and wisdom. Proverbs 19 verse 20 says this, get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise for the rest of your life. Clayton, can you come back up, please? Acknowledgement or seeking God and pursuing wisdom I believe will lead you through the right doors. Because when you're seeking God in all you do, when you acknowledge him in all you do, it shows that your heart is saying, God, I want to hear your voice in every step I take, in every path that I choose, and in every place that you lead him. You see, if we honor him in all areas of our life, while we desire and seek wisdom, we won't miss the door that God has for us. Young people used to ask me all the time, Pastor Jeremy, I'm graduating in two years. I don't know what to do with my life. What if I miss the will of God? And I'm like, you guys, you're 15 years old. I'm so glad you have a heart to know what God wants you to do. But if you keep that heart that you wanna please him and honor him, I promise you, you won't miss his will for your life. Because we have, we've put in so much stock in you're called in this and that. And yes, those are all true. But for some of us, when we get to certain points and decisions in our life, God is simply saying, keep honoring me. Keep seeking to hear my voice. Keep wanting to know what I have for you. And I will bring the wisdom that you need around you. I will lead you in the steps that you need to take. I will speak to you by the power of my Holy Spirit. And I will help you move forward and make good decisions for your life. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 11, as we continue on, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and I'll show you which path to take. But then it says this, don't be impressed with your own wisdom, which at 19 years old, we are all pretty impressed with what we know. I was there. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
And this doesn't mean fear God like, I'm so afraid that I'm going to misstep and I'm going to miss what he has for me. No, it simply means this. I so want to honor God and I so want to please him that I'm not going to start making decisions without seeking him, without wondering what he has for my life. I'm going to keep my heart open to what God wants to do in my life. And it says, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. But then it says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Everybody say wealth. Uh Uh-oh. Now we're talking about money. By the way, tax receipts have been mailed out. We're not picking them at church. I was supposed to say that before I started. So if you wonder, I gave money and I'm not going to get tax right. No, it was mailed out. You'll get it this week. It says, honor the Lord with all your wealth. And then it says, and the best part of everything you have or produce. You know what I feel the best part of my life is? I said this. My wife was on the front row in the last service. I think the best thing that we've produced in our life is our kids. And I think this is what the scripture is going to. When I honor God and I want to seek him, even in the deepest area of my money and my family and the things that I hold dear to me, when I want wisdom and I acknowledge God with those things. See, I have to come to a place in my life where I understand that I have three beautiful children right now that are mine to raise to a certain point, but I have to acknowledge that they're God's. And when my boys or my daughter get to an age and they're going to decide what they're going to do and how they're going to pursue the call of God, I cannot let my fear as a parent hold them back from who God's created them to be. But that's going to be tough. Because right now it's like, I would love to see them go to the mission field or this or do great things for God. But I also know that's going to come with a lot of tests and trials and things I'd love to protect my babies from. But when I say, God, I will honor you and I will acknowledge you in how I raise my kids and I will seek your will for their lives and I will set them before you. It says this, it says, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. In the Bible, wine is always the symbol for joy. And I believe that God is saying this, when we want to walk through open doors and we want to make good decisions and we want to follow Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day when we honor him with our finances when we honor him with our families when we seek godly wisdom and counsel he will give us a full life you'll fill your barns this is not just material things he will fill your life you will have fullness in your life and you will overflow with joy come on I want to follow God in such a way that even when I don't know what the sure word is, I want to seek him in every area because I want to know that my life is going to be full because I'm following Jesus and I'm going to have joy in doing it. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check back often as we continue with the series open.